Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to Badass Women's Hour. Three women, one podcast, and all the opinions we can muster. I'm Natalie Campbell, and this week I was joined by number one best-selling author, Anna Williamson, and entrepreneur and strategist, Melanie Sabi. They were both covering for Emma and Harriet. I hope you enjoy the show. We had a lot of fun this week. Badass Women's Hour XL on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking. Anna. What are we talking about on the news? Right, ladies. Um, and yeah, this is a it's a it's a contentious one. We you know mm. we're going straight on it. We're not messing around. Um, of course, everyone has been glued to the news over the last few days. And today uh, we just heard about it in the news bulletin. There, um, the Irish abortion referendum, um, the repeal. Um, it has um, it has been overwhelmingly uh, voted for yes. Um, I believe the final. Um, percentages were for yes to, to agree to abortion uh, was 69.4% and no uh, to keep the Eighth Amendment was 30%. Um, so yes, um, the, all those people, and I know some are people who were flying back to, to mm. Ireland to cast their vote. Um, social media, I'm sure you saw as well, yeah. was awash with celebrities and everybody that were that was supporting this campaign, whether it was yes or no. I think everyone is entitled, obviously, to their opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, it has been it has been granted, it has been passed for abortion to be legal now in Ireland uh, up to 12 weeks, uh, 24 weeks in certain circumstances. How did you feel when you saw all of the conversations on social media and people flying home and meeting, you know, people that they didn't know but were all wearing the same sort of outfit saying vote yes in in airports? Because that for me was... I don't know, it kind of got me in the gut in terms of a movement and a moment that's that's changing the way that, that we live. Yeah, it just kicked me right in the feels. You know, people not only saying, yes, we agree with this, but really just making the effort to, to go back home and to vote. And it really struck me how society and how laws and how our norms change, because this is not the first, second or third time that mm-hmm. we've had this type of referendum in Ireland, much less in any other country as well. And so really important, I think, for government to recognize that laws change, you know, people change. And so and we have to make sure that we are keeping up to date with what's happening in people's hearts, people's minds, and rather than just kind of sticking to archaic laws. Would you fly home to Canada, you're Canadian, um, to vote? I wouldn't fly home because I got the mail vote because, you know, it's, it's Canada. <laughs> that's, that's yeah, that's true. <laughs> right. But I, I think it shows how strongly um, people felt about yeah. this, you know, and, and not just women, you it's know, symbolic. men. Absolutely, it was really symbolic. And I get it is a really, oh, you know, are there many more such emotional, controversial sort of um, uh, debates? And, and I... Uh, 
when you asked that question now, what did I think when it started to unfold? Honestly, my first thought was, I, I, I would, I'm very pro-choice. So I'd like to put put it out there. Yeah. But I did feel, I was thought, gosh, we are, we're at a real turning point here. Um, and yeah, it, I did feel quite awkward, if I'm honest with you, because of what it symbolizes mm -hmm. as well. I mean, and, and obviously the whole con the, the conversation of abortion, it's never an easy one for anybody, no. wherever you may, whatever you may think about it, whether you have had to make that very, very difficult decision yourself, mm -hmm. uh, whether you are completely against it. I think I think we're all agreed that it's a very, very difficult emotional thing to talk about, um, let alone to have to go through and make those decisions. And I don't believe anybody makes those decisions lightly. I know I have friends that have had to make those decisions and they have been the right decisions for them. And I think that particularly in Ireland, for any women that have had to, you know, live in, in, in this with this horrible shroud of secrecy and feeling shamed and dirty and having to fly to countries that do allow it, mm. I think um, that it needs to be equal, it needs to be parallel within the UK. I think the thing for me was that a country gave its population the right to vote, the right to have a say. Mm. And now it's, well, what happens next? Is this a case of it's now going to take two years to implement? And from what I've seen, it should be as soon as the end of the year by where women will be able to have a termination in Ireland. But actually the key thing was giving people a voice, giving them an option, and then enabling a movement to get together and inspire people. And for both sides, whatever your your, your views, and I am pro-choice too, but whatever your views, there was a moment where you could say it. Yep. You could get people on side with you know, the re your version of the, of the truth or the reality and share stories. Um, and that for me is as important. I think that's almost what got me in the gut, the movement of it all. Yeah. Topic aside, that that I coming exactly together. Yeah. Like, hands up, I'm a political philosopher, but it th this move towards referendums, I think, is a very interesting one. Like, you could see countries all over the world, of course, here in the UK as well, where we're moving these really important decisions mm. to referendums, and you're getting the representation at the vote like you've never gotten them yeah. for our government elections. And so there is something there that we have to look at in regards to wait, how are we getting all of this engagement? on some of these issues, these core issues, but we're not getting the level of engagement in regards to government who should be running, you know, how are we going to get from A to B mm. when we vote for these issues? Well, something that has actually taken over um, the public consciousness, slightly different topic, God. is GDPR. Oh, my God. Oh <laughs> right, my. OK, how many emails have you had in your inbox, honestly, like I, over the last two days? I am for GDPR. You know, when I see these emails yeah, yeah. come in, like, who are you and how did you get my email? And why are you emailing me now? The shame. Don't you feel shame emailing me now? I've never even, I didn't even know you had my email address. <laughs> I had Privacy. a password, a nick <laughs> emailed me. I was just like, oh my yeah, God. Exactly. So <laughs> no, Mel, this is your new story. So privacy is key. And so uh, in kind of the light of GDPR, uh, the interesting story around Amazon's Alexa. So Alexa is the voice for um, Amazon Echo. So if you guys don't know what Amazon Echo is it's that kind of it's a house assistant it's almost like Siri on the on the iPhones you can speak to it and it can do things for you 
so what happened is that this woman complained because she asked the company to investigate because Alexa device recorded a private conversation between her and her husband and sent it to a random number in their address book without their permission. So Already I've got the chills. Thank you. So Alexa's only supposed to be activated by your voice, right? But what it what she's and saying, saying what you say what wake Alexa exactly. and then it's supposed to do the action. Right. Exactly. Okay. And so right. you say, Oh, search Alexa. You're supposed to activate Alexa by saying Alexa. Alexa wasn't activated. So was her name Alexa? Exactly. No, her name was not Alexa. I wouldn't get this because my husband's called Alex, right? Uh, and sorry. I would be really well, you can change Alexa's name. You can change Alexa to Dion right. or Donovan. But the uh, point being is that Alexa was recording a conversation and not only that sent the conversation to a random contact in the phone book. And so then the neighbor called back or that person said, look, you're being hacked. Mm -hmm. That's how she found out. Hello? Like, I'm I'm peril enough in terms of my MacBook. Like, if I leave sure. it open and, the you know, with that, I put like a little piece of tape over that little Do you not <laughs> have that moment when you're at home and the MacBook's open and you possibly don't have a lot of clothes on? on. Or, yeah. you're, or you're, you're doing something you, have, you shouldn't Yeah, do. and it's just like, oh, oh, I might just close the lid until I yes. get dressed. All the time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, the, you know, Amazon is explaining that Alexa, there must have been a word that was used that was close to Alexa in the background. And so that's why Alexa was turned on. However, the mere fact that it was actually even sent to someone, I think yeah. that we all have to be a little bit more, hey, yay for GDPR is what we're saying here. I need some privacy in my life. I do not want devices to be recording me. My issue is that um, there have been... Patents, patent, patents filed for algorithms that listen to our conversations, uh, track emotions, and then try and sell us stuff off the back of those conversations. So if we say I love or I really enjoy, the, ultimately the machine learning in the Alexas and the series and all of these things take that information and, and, and try and, and sell us back the thing that we apparently love. That is why I actually like what's going on with GDPR. We've always had data protection, but everyone is now aware of the fact that data is a commodity. It's not free to use these platforms. It's great to be able to to buy all of these things that make shopping or whatever people do on, on an Alexa um, uh, easy. But you're giving them something in exchange. You are letting them into your lifestyle, into your home, mm -hmm. into your personal time so they can start to... Track it. Track it. it. Exactly. Yeah, I was going to exactly. say manipulate you. That's too strong a word. This is me exactly. going into conspiracy theory. But that's the thing that almost when I when I read that article, I, I just got the chills because it's it scares me. Yeah, and because it is so new and, and, and we are of the generation where all of this is sort of being invented and tested out and that's why Alexa does actually really scare me and, and I go into, you know, into various meetings in sort of my other work that I do, working in books and media and telly and everyone's saying this is the way forward. Mm -hmm. um, everything has to go digital, you know, the Alexa. That, it really scares me, as you say, because... Exactly like you were saying, Mel. I, I think this GDPR is brilliant because I really value my privacy and my family's privacy. And this this story, I think it's a warning sign to us all. Exactly. <laughs> okay. I was I was listening to you and I was like, oh no, we, we sound like our parents. <laughs> I think my granddad was against telephone banking when it first came out because oh, he was convinced they were going to steal all of his money. And now I'm like, but it's such a great thing. And I'm sure there's someone sitting at home saying, it's just like telephone banking. It's just like something you didn't think was, it's probably, it's just like text message. But that element of people taking my data 
and making money off it and then selling me things that I don't need but yes. maybe I think I will <laughs> yeah. need because yes. they've got into my psyche somehow exactly. the worst thing to do is have a baby and, and in, in this world like I am because everyone now as you say every, every time I log on to any of my apps or, or, mm-hmm. or my social media profiles I just get flogged baby stuff and then exactly. it makes me think oh I am that consumer exactly. yes. I'm wasting money hand over fist as long as we know you can do it that's absolutely fine but i wasn't aware of the extent you know when you're pumping that fresh coffee smell when i walk into the mall (laughs) that you know makes me feel that those little things just let me know that you are trying to manipulate me that you are trying to make me feel good in a certain way that's fine that for people that don't know exactly smell yes so there are things that um for uh, there was an article that came out a few years ago in regards to how to sell your house and so when you're having viewings there are some smells that you should be pumping through your living room one of them would be kind of the smells of toast and breakfast mm. like you know the smell of bacon frying or it could be the smell of coffee brewing bread baking obviously you know just those yeah. things that make it seem like it's a home and it welcomes people into your to your yard however this thing has also <laughs> been happening with shopping malls yeah, for example yeah. if you notice all shopping malls kind of smell the same how is that it, you know, <laughs> it's because yeah. there is actually a special brew of fragrances yeah. that right. encourages you staying there and and buying so as long as I know that, then I'm just, I'm aware. I am aware and I am on guard. And you can make that decision, as yeah. you exactly. say. It's when it feels subtly manipulative. Exactly. Yes. And it's when people are taking your information when you don't know exactly. that it causes the challenges. So when we look at social media, how is it that we don't pay for Instagram? We don't pay for Facebook, but Mark Zuckerberg is still rich. <laughs> See, like these kinds of things you got to think about. How does he make money? Advertising and media. So what does he doing with the, all the data that he's collecting on us, my friends? Yeah. That's just the way it is. Sure. So I think this is one we're going to be talking about a lot over the coming weeks and months. Years. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) As everyone realises all the things they've they've subscribed to. Yeah. And we'll be talking about the Instamum, mother of daughters who quit Instagram after a backlash uh, on another platform called Mumsnet, where parents mums ultimately thought that she'd crossed the line with the photos that she was sharing of her children they thought that they were exploitative uh, there was a conversation around whether or not she was making money off the back of her children and i think she probably just thought enough is enough and she quit now i am not a parent but the stories that i've been told around the movement of mums and platforms where you get attacked, it's it's similar to being trolled on any other platform. Mm. I felt it, you know, it must have been extreme for someone that ultimately works through a platform, uses the platform to to work. She she writes books. She's also a mid, mid, midwife. To quit, it must have just literally got to her to the point where mm. she was like, "I have had enough." Mm. Anna, she's she's a normal person, and I know of, I know Clemmy, I know her her husband uh, Simon Hoop, her father of daughters, mm. who has almost double the amount of Instagram followers. We're talking big numbers here. Mm. Clemmy has uh, a half million uh, Simon has 850,000 followers um, and I think I think it, it makes me really sad actually um, that the, I'm a mum yep. I have a 20 month old um, I love following insta mums I, I arguably sort of am in that sphere myself mm-hmm. I um, you know I, I do a, a lot of posting about being a mum I have written a parenting book myself as well and I know a lot of these uh, ladies and, and these dads as well they're just normal ladies mm-hmm. right and and Particularly with Clemmy, she is sort of the first of the Insta mums in inverted commas that really went viral, mainstream. She is still a working midwife. She works at King's College Hospital in London. 
Um, and she she really got such a following going because she did a blog called Gas and Air originally, which was brilliant. And she's a mum of four four girls, and she's a, she's a working mum. Now, as we all know in this day and age, and this is the thing, we all know, I guess, how it works. But the more followers you get, that there is currency in that. Yeah. So of course she's going to have brands that want to work with her. And, and according to Clemmy, nine out of ten of the offers she gets paid offers she she doesn't she doesn't accept because she feels that they aren't they aren't right. Um, she does put pictures of her kids up on there but it's literally just her kids having family holidays I don't think she's done anything wrong and as you say I think we all forget that actually behind that insta mum is just a real woman and if she's getting attacked and people are attacking her family I don't blame her for coming off well joining us on the line now is Sue Atkins the ITV uh, and this morning uh, parenting expert Sue what's your take on all of this very interesting isn't it because it's raising the conversation for thinking about all of this sort of sharing thing and I wrote a blog actually after I read all of this today because actually I suppose quietly I'm a bit jealous that she's got 500,000 <laughs> Instagram followers and I certainly don't have that many um, for just posting up you know a lot of these mums and dads are just posting up what I call the ordinary of parenting the bathing and going you know shopping and all the rest of it exactly so I tend to feel though that parenting isn't a spectator sport necessarily and some people are getting five minutes of fame from it and some of the people are getting loads of money but I do wonder about um, children how they will feel about it when they're older uh, will they be annoyed embarrassed or anxious by what their parents have posted up in years to come I also wonder about the consent angle of this people say they ask their kids well children want to please you so are they also really in a position to give you their consent if they're only four years old but sue based on what you're saying do you think this is exploitative in any way because you know if a a young child is in the bath and you say do do you want me to post this picture they're not going to say no mummy yeah no exactly and I, I, that's what I, I'm not a fan of some of that, to be mm-hmm. honest, because let's face it, what starts to happen is you get your five minutes of fame or you get significance. You're also influential and you have a responsibility in some respects. If you, do. you have that mm-hmm. many people following what you're saying um, and you have to be, you know, transparent about it. But what I also want to say is I do feel that the way uh, net mums, you know, judge and are very cliquey and finger point and some of the outrageous and vitriolic comments Mm. You know, people hide behind their screen and they think that they can then say anything. Whereas if you were in the same room as this poor mum, you you just would not say those horrific things. So I do feel very sorry for her from that point of view. Because essentially they are they are just particularly Clemmy. It's actually it's actually her husband Simon. If anyone's going to point fingers, it's Simon that can perhaps post things that I think are funny, but some people might not agree with. You know, perhaps the children you know are Mm. playing him up or something, and he might post that. But Clemmy's do just tend to be normal family photos but okay they're at Walt Disney World and they've obviously been given a free holiday but is that any different from any other mum that's just got perhaps five followers posting a picture of their family well no that's right and I think this raises that whole thing because of this uh, GDPR business <laughs> yes. that we've all been bombarded with and I've had to send out my newsletters and all the rest of it making sure people sign up again um, but there is this serious issue actually that it could come good can come from everything I think I mean it gets everybody thinking are you compromising your children's safety? I mean, where are you posting from? The location? Are they in their school mm-hmm. uniform? Are mm-hmm. they naked in the bath? So, you know, hopefully this kind of thing will actually help other people pause to ponder what mm. they're doing and why they are doing it. Do you, going back to what you were saying earlier, do you think it's a case of jealousy? 
where there's some well, people sometimes. out there that, that just thought, actually, I want to have that lifestyle. Yeah. And because I'm behind a keyboard, I'm going to go, go after her for no reason other than jealousy. I dare say there is some of that. Absolutely, yes. And, you know, it, it seems a terrible shame because really parenting is quite hard and mm. challenging. We're all in it <laughs> yep. together, really trying to do our best. It's damn hard, Sue. <laughs> 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 I wrote a book about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, but I, I'm of the view that I don't like finger pointing. I tend mm. to like to raise a happy hand and, you know, support people. Um, but what I always do with any of these sorts of things, I don't like finger pointing and judging. I do want people to pause to ponder actually all sorts of mums and dads whatever they're doing on blogs and wherever they are just think about what you're doing and whether your children will say oh thank you for doing that you know in a few years time or when they're getting married so the other flip side of this is that actually her husband and again i'm not going after anyone mm. hasn't had any backlash yes i read that i thought that was quite interesting and there's a very interesting blog by uh, i think it's called selfish mum she wrote her take on it oh, which yeah. I thought was very very interesting and she raised some very interesting points in that blog and um you know it's worth having a read of that too um she mentioned that he didn't and i wonder why that is but the interesting thing i interviewed simon simon came on my my oh, break okay. my dad podcast and and Simon yeah. told me that out of his 850,000 followers, 90% are mm. women, are mums, that oh, want right. to watch and feed into what he does. He said, I'm sort of like a surrogate husband almost. So I find it strange that these other mums are bashing his wife, but yet not him. And he's and he's equally putting these posts Again, up. maybe this parks back to a jealousy thing mm. and the different relationship and status that they've given both of them. Mel, what do you think? Well, I'd like to look at the numbers of people who actually complain, because sometimes what happens is that the complainers have mm. a very loud voice yeah. and mm -hmm. so it's actually quite it's bigger than what yeah. it really is so you know no matter what I'm you know being a feminist on air people come for me I get trolled and mm. so and it hurts I look at them more and I don't look at the you know hundreds of thousands of people who are listening and who are supporting and so I do think it's a real shame because she did give us a view into to motherhood that was you know it was real mm. quite frankly that picture I, was I, real I'm what <laughs> she might do next I yes. hope she doesn't just Disappear. Yeah, I really. I think I think her husband, I think Simon, father daughters, has said she's just taken a break. She's cool. She's yeah. just taken a break. And I think and some of the others, Mother Pucker did the same thing. Another huge Insta mom. Mm -hmm. You know, when when they get this barrage of, of yeah. trolling, you know, we're only everyone's only human. Mm -hmm. You know, and exactly as you say, Mel, we tend to why, we always tend to focus on the one or two negative comments that can just tip us over the edge if we're having a bad day. She's got four kids and she's working. You know what? She's obviously got enough on her plate. Yeah. I think the interesting thing for the final thing for me wanting to say is that I hope. Everyone does realise it's an edited version of reality. Yeah, that's yeah. the most important yes. thing. Yeah. And I think sometimes people forget that. Yes, and that, it, I think, and if any good comes from it, then hopefully some good comes from. It. I'm always looking for the positive rather than the the slamming and damning yeah, of people. Yeah. So hopefully, you know, people will pause to ponder what they're doing when they're posting up in any event, whether you've got three followers or three hundred thousand. Mm, I agree. Most I definitely. agree. There's a line. Sue, mm. thank you very much. It was lovely to talk to you. That was Sue Atkins from uh, This Morning, parenting expert. <laughs> Welcome back to Badass Women's Hour with me, Natalie Campbell, Melanie Sabi, and Anna Williamson. Joining us in the studio is Devika Wood. I probably said that wrong no, again. It was right, it was right. Uh, okay, right. Yes. Yay! <laughs> Go with it, Nat. Go with it. <laughs> Devika Wood, founder of Vida. Vida harnesses technology and invests in high-quality carers to deliver to deliver personalised in-home care to the elderly and disabled. Uh, we will get into all of that. 
but tell us why. Why did you start this app? What was the genesis of it all? So um, I started it because I was a carer for my grandma for 12 years. Um, so she moved in with myself and my parents when she became sick and she got dementia. And unfortunately, when we tried to get care for her, they just didn't give us the right carers. We got 15-minute visits. So fundamentally, I was just thrown into this care role at the age of you know, 10, 11, 12 wow. to look after somebody who was previously looking after me. Um, and we had no idea about what like what dementia was and why she was becoming aggressive and all the different things that come alongside that. And after about 12 years and her just health deteriorated so rapidly and it affected my family and it affected you know my parents' relationship as well, um, she ends up in a care home in the last three months of her life and then she passed away, sadly. But if we'd had the right carers qualified to look after her the burden on us would have been so much less um so i made it my mission to basically change that and make sure that everyone has access to great care so you were a cancer research scientist yeah. and you worked at google before yeah. founding vida and you've also worked at a number of other platforms yeah how do you take something that's happened to you something really emotional really personal and say I'm going to set up a tech app because it's not an easy jump for a lot of people to make. No, it's not, especially when you're in a scientific, science, science role and then yeah. you end up doing business. Yeah. I mean, I had no idea about starting a business. I don't know if anyone does. I mean, I always thought if you had to do a business, you had to do business studies at school. <laughs> so I was like, that rules me out the then. Yeah. Um, so no, then it obviously, I think for me personally, I just had that passion and that drive to really change something. And I was basically learning on the job, right? When I started Vida, I was like, had no idea. And it's just learning by doing mm. and you just build your confidence up and if you have that drive that gets you up every morning then you can get through anything and that's where I am kind of two years after launching it. So what exactly is the app? So basically it's a health tech platform okay. um, that connects into a carers app and a next of kin app so everyone's basically attached to the same records that are being delivered and we have an, uh, an ability at the end of that to have chronic disease monitoring so you can attach on IOT devices to then make it really personalised at back up, home back up. IOT, no, no, IOT, IOT lady oh, come, on, come on, break it down for the people Internet to go back further than IOT for okay, so basically back to the platform. Yeah, so, you know, so the, the link between the carers and yeah. the so like all the, they have access to all of the same records yeah so basically the the dashboard itself is integrated into our care company okay. and the dashboard has a matching algorithm that matches the right carer to the right client okay then the carers have an app so when they turn up to the door it's all gps located it's all the records are digitized so they obviously give us real-time information that comes into our dashboard that has a machine learning algorithm in the background uh, which is basically looking through any anomalies and red flags um, of that person's health and then we can intervene faster and be more proactive so if they need to go see the doctor we will get them to the doctor quicker so it's almost like as you say the carer everyone is sort of held a bit more accountable because yeah um which is good because i i know i we we as a family and i know the burden and i mean this nicely that caring for an elderly relative or a relative can be we were the same with my grandma and the, the continuity of care was dreadful and right up to the time she passed and as you say it's it, i think this i wish i'd known about this but my mm. bless my nanny she passed away four years ago um but that was the thing we didn't know how long the carers had been there mm. she didn't like some of the carers um and i think how how has this been re received so far? So, I mean, the transparency that you get 
and the peace of mind, I think, is the fundamental thing here. I mean, when you have an ability to see that the care has turned up and mm. you're at work and you know that your mum or grandma's actually being looked after, that's amazing, first off. And then the second aspect, which is being able to communicate and see all of those records coming through. So you know the medication's been given or mm. they've been given the right type of food or, you know, she was feeling actually okay that day. Having that transparency at the real time is just so fundamentally important to everyone's well-being and peace how do you think that your grandma's life would have changed had she have had something like this um i think she I mean, she would have probably not have suffered as much mm. so it was just it was painful to see her in so much pain and you know not being able to communicate with these carers that were just coming in and fundamentally didn't care about her mm -hmm. and then on the other side i mean if if we'd had less of a burden to care for her and actually do the hands-on care we could have actually enjoyed all those 12 years with her and that's, I think, the most important aspect to it. I, I completely agree, as you say, because it, it is a full-time worry and for, you need to have that care plan in, in place to mm. help. And I'm, I'm so surprised that, that it is so dire, which is why when you've set this up, it's fantastic. But I don't want to care about you because they work really, of really hard. Absolutely. So I guess it's the balance of saying you have people that are working really hard, probably working really, really long shifts, a lack of information in between the worry of a family on the other side your app is sort of the thing that, that makes it all everyone. work yeah exactly okay. and you know what carers do an unbelievable job and i've got 400 on my platform now what they have done and how much they get paid for what they do is just it's appalling mm. that as a nation we've agreed that the lowest qualified lowest paid people will look after the most vulnerable people alone in their house as a lone worker mm -hmm. and they get minimal support from the care companies you know they're kind of treated like skivvies you know and and what we try to do is empower these carers to have career progression so when they're utilizing the app as well we can actually do supervisions and e-learning through the app mm -hmm. so they're actually themselves feeling empowered to deliver better care so will you turn into a, a, a care provider in a sense, almost a digital care provider? So it's basically, I guess, it's going to be the first digitally powered care provider in the UK. I <laughs> love it. Yeah. In the UK or the world? The world. world. We're going global. Yeah. We're yeah. Going, yeah, yeah, we're doing the world. <laughs> so Mel, you're an entrepreneur. I mean, in terms of the story of taking you know, taking a passion and turning it into a business, what resonates for you about what Devika said? You know what? Even the fact that you're able to get funding, I'd love. You know, mm. how do you convince others that this is a great idea and this is going to work? Because this, I can't even. I, the amount of funding that you've gotten just to even start this off is amazing. So congratulations, honestly, it's amazing Thank that you. you've even done. One point six so, million. Um, two point five million. Oh, oh, she was like, <laughs> exactly. she was like, no, you're a million out. I'm sorry. Let me just just back up. <laughs> how do you go from being? Oh wait, I'm. You know, I'm working at Google and I'm in. Research research scientist to okay I've just asked people and gotten 2.5 million like who you know I, I can't even I can't yeah. even fathom and it's crazy so it's like so I basically was very lucky that I came up with the idea when I was employed by a company called Hambro Perks which is an investment boutique firm and I was just there to kind of look at their health tech investments and see which ones they should invest in and then when I was in there I was like actually hold on I could do this so I just created a pitch deck which is like 10 slides of like basically a shortened business proposal and said to them this is what we should do and this is how much money I need to raise. And I raised the first 400,000. And then it's just grown from there. But getting funding is really tough. Yeah. And you're, ev you're forever fundraising when you're a founder. Like, you never stop. And the pressure of having to pay payroll, and if you don't have the money to pay payroll, is just, it collapses. But it is stressful. But I think, like I said, it's the drive and the passion that just... 
keeps you going, right? So how does it work for you day to day then? Sort of what's your role in it day to day? Are you having of... nervous breakdowns. No, I was going to say. Welcome to our world. Yeah. So day to day, obviously, so I'm the founder, CEO. So I take on a very hands-on position of kind of, I would say people management. It's it's genuinely become people management on a day-to-day basis, like yeah. dealing with people's insecurities and getting my actual employees in-house because they're all really young people, right? So we've got a lot of young people working for the care company because they want to change the way that elderly care is delivered. And mm. I find that super, like, That's inspiring. Lovely. It's mm. amazing. Um, but obviously what happens with startups, you get a lot of young people working in companies and they don't have a lot of management skills. They haven't worked. It's probably their first job. So it does become my role to kind of go guide them through and I'm 28 so I'm like <laughs> this is my first role doing this <laughs> how can I tell you how to be better but you so you've managed to get over 2 million in investment she's going to correct me in a minute but you've also secured 1.5 in revenue or, or is so, that yeah we did 2 million in revenue in the first 12 months of trading okay just correcting yeah. me all over the shop she's like keep <laughs> it in the twos so uh, you know when you're doing your pitch deck you, you make assumptions so again anyone that's listening the pitch deck a shortened version of business plan you might say we're going to turn over two million in two years time so uh, you know how do you then do it you have to do it so you did two million by when so um we launched in november 16 and we did our first two million in our first financial year of trading so basically this this year that's just gone basically she's like i'm a badass (laughs) (laughs) just to break it down then who are your typical kind of customers or Mm -hmm. clients so what's the actual if i'm gonna go businessy what's the widget that you're bringing to the market tell me exactly what is it and the app that provides the interface between all of the relevant bits of my loved one's care. She's mm. saying who pays? Who yeah. pays? Like who who are you selling to in the market? Yeah. Like, not the investor people. Mm-hmm. So the <laughs> private clients, so like my family yeah. right. would get, come to us for care and then you've also got social services. So we work with local authorities. I was going to ah, say, do you work here? Yeah. With yeah. Yes, so we get government okay. funded. So that's my biggest passion, right? To solve the social <sighs> care crisis. Right. Absolutely brilliant and I think that's absolutely key as well. Yeah. yeah. and I, It's yeah. got to be across the board. It <laughs> yeah, needs to be a good parallel. There's there's yeah. no point in going into an industry like this and saying I'm going to solve it for the private market and the private players can actually pay, yeah. right? So if you've, if you've got £20 now to spend in a carer, like, you will spend it. But on social services, you have people that have literally nothing yeah. and they are the ones that are going to be deprived of fundamentally what they have the deser- what they deserve to have, which is a carer and a good way of living towards the end of their life. And that's what I'm going to make it my mission to kind of solve. So can you tell us a success story, like a success story that you know that your app, that your piece of technology, your idea has brought to the market that, you know, because I know that it was too late for your own grandma, but mm. then I know that you must, there are probably stories abound. Is there one that kind of touches your heart that you can share with us? Yeah. So one of our first ever clients who came on board, um, so she was this elderly so lovely like Italian fiery as hell Um, but she her husband passed away and so she was left obviously to live in this house by herself Um, and she stayed in one seat in the sofa in her living room and just wouldn't move she wouldn't shower she wouldn't eat and she would sit by this like 90 degree furnace and I think she would just she was just in a state of kind of shock right so then they engaged us to bring a carer in and we her family yeah the family so the daughter obviously called us up and the we have a carer called Joy um, she's unbelievable. She's been with us since day one. Her personality and her passion and her just like her empathy is unbelievable. And she worked consistently with this client to literally get her to even move. And eventually she managed to have a shower, which I know it doesn't sound like a big deal to everyone else. You can shower, but 
this woman showered after nine months and she sadly passed away towards the end of it but the daughter literally said to us I mean she was in tears she said if you do, if I don't have you coming in I was gonna have a nervous breakdown and I was suicidal so yeah and that's the importance isn't it of having have, have, and it works on both sides I'm sure mm. that um, Joy the carer I'm yeah. sure she sounds absolutely incredible at her job and and but I, I know in my experience it is and that's what's amazing what you're doing is matching the carers the correct mm. carer to the correct patient and actually I'm really pleased that my grandmother um, it, well it, it, it worked out very well in the end but her carer was just she was family at the end yeah, and exactly. actually uh, her quality of my grandma's quality of life for the final couple of years once we would got through a couple of carers which weren't perhaps compatible on both sides um, it, it was a wonderful relationship so I think what you're offering and is, is as you said across the board is so needed and the money all the money stuff aside that's what it comes down yeah. to it's a quality of service it's about care it's about helping people that, that need it and making sure that if someone is in a stage of life where it is the last few years that they are treated with respect and exactly. also the carers have the support that they need to do a brilliant job. And that's really key, as you yeah. say, and we did touch on that. It, it does work hand in hand because, yeah. yeah, the carers, and I think that's why it's so good to have the app because, as you say, it helps support the carers and whatever they need in turn as well and they're not just kind of hung out to dry all the time. So. And it, gives them, it keeps them connected to us in the office, yeah. right? So normally what a carer would do when they would turn up to the house is they would pick up the landline and then call into the care agency yeah. and say, I've arrived. Yeah. Um, and then they're having to write down the care plan which is left in the house no one ever watches that care plan no one does anything with it so what they have with our app is obviously they have a way to connect with us continuously and they can communicate with us any time of the day 24 7 and we utilize all of their information to also do kind of self-learning so if the notes they're giving us aren't good enough or even they're amazing we have a gamification process where we then reward them for doing a great job and then also upskill them if they need any training so it's constantly giving them progression after the break, we get deep and personal. We are asking about a letter Devika wrote to her younger self. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Badass Women's Hour Excel on Talk Radio. Devika is the founder and director of Vida, 
a platform that supports and connects carers to families that need care to, to basically make sure that elderly and disabled people have the best possible experience ever. Now, ever. I like ever, ever. 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 <laughs> and, you know, I, we were talking about world domination, but actually uh, you said that it is about just making the care system in the UK work much better. Yeah, 100%. So I want to talk about something else. Um, and it's a letter that you wrote to yourself that we all have a copy of. And the title is yeah, Letter to My Younger Self. You are, you are a survivor who will help others and you start off um talking about yourself when you're 19 years old but by the third paragraph it starts he will throw you around like a rag doll tell us the story and why you wrote this letter and what it means to you so um i actually wrote the letter at quite a pivotal time when i was starting vida because the experience I went through with the domestic violence and the abusive relationship at a young age, it shaped me as a person. Mm. I couldn't talk to men. I couldn't be around people unless and, until I was like cowering in my body. My, lang my body language was all kind of just indicative of the fact that I was in a really bad place. Mm. And I tried therapy and I tried to talk about it and I tried to comprehend it and nothing worked. And then I got approached by The Guardian and they were like, do you want to write a letter? Um, to your younger self and you can choose whatever topic that is. And I thought, I think the best way for me to do this is actually talk about domestic violence and actually get it out there because I was ashamed of it. I, mm. I was a, a playing a victim. I was embarrassed. I couldn't tell people about it because I thought they would judge me, that I'd be weak and why didn't I walk away? Mm. And I think as soon as I did it, it gave me that strength to be like, hold on a second, there are other women out there and other women did start to contact me as well and that's when I felt really proud of what I did. Um, so it was an amazing therapy session for me writing it. Um, but it was a horrible experience. I mean, horrible doesn't even touch on it. When you're 19 and somebody tries to throw you off a balcony and kill you, uh, beats you up every day and tells you that you are an awful person, it stays with you forever and it will continue to stay with me because it has made a huge impression on my life but I'm using it now to be stronger and do better. And that comes through in the letter because it's it's deeply personal uh, and as you've just said there you know you are telling your story is telling your story almost a form of therapy? Yeah absolutely and I think saying it in such a, a, a wide platform <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's everyone could see that right yeah. I think it was the best form of therapy I could have ever had because it was saying here I am whoever's been through this it's not going to break you mm. you shouldn't let it define you and you shouldn't let it uh be what you say that you are forevermore um, how do you how do you feel when you read it back when you hear it back or have mm. or, or have you read it back i've read it back and i still cry about it <laughs> i still like sure. i go through it and the words are so poignant in my head that they they hit somewhere and i go back to that place so it's still very hard for me to read it. And even when I talk about it, um, it still really affects me. And I'm still I'm still really worried that I'm never going to get it out of my system because, you know, it's I'm now 28. And it happened when I was 19, 22, and I'm still crying about it. Um, but I think I do need to keep reading it because I also underplayed it a lot and I undermined it. And a lot of domestic violence, abuse, like people that have been abused, mm. um, often undermine the extent of what they've been through mm. and I think it's important to keep focus on it was something huge and it's so bad and if we don't talk about it and bring it to light and actually talk about it in the way that it is which is horrendous and mm. put those words to paper people will never actually start to do and think about it. At the point that you wrote the letter had you told anyone? Yeah so my parents obviously knew they were my biggest rescuers actually so I wouldn't have, I probably wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for them um, mm. 
because they actually were there when I basically he'd almost tried to throw him off the balcony and they were the ones that were holding me and saying it's everything's going to be okay and I was bruised and I was battered so they were the people that knew and then I couldn't tell anyone I tried to tell kind of boyfriends that I would see after that and no one really understood it mm. was kind of they looked at me in a certain way and it started really? to make me feel shamed yeah you, you, you really felt a, a negative yeah from, yeah from your experience yeah. yeah absolutely I've been told that um because of what you've been through surely you should be softer and more vulnerable <laughs> Because that's because, you know, you were a victim of domestic violence. And I'm like, no, I'm strong. I am hard, armoured skin now because you have to to get through that. Mm -hmm. um, and I did start to tell people more, my closest friends, they are unbelievably supportive about it. But I still find it very difficult. I mean, I was told when I wrote this letter that it shouldn't go public because investors may look at me in a certain way. Right. And they'd start to judge me. And when I was told that, I was like, absolutely not. Like, this is Good who I am. Mm -hmm. And if the investors are going to judge me because I was a, d a victim of domestic violence... It's probably not in the caring profession. Then I'm just going to <laughs> not swear down the microphone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they shouldn't be investing in my company anyway. And, you know, we deal with a lot of people that have... I mean, we had one client also that was left completely disabled from domestic violence from her partner. Wow. Um, lost her baby. Needs full-time care now. Um, and she actually came onto the platform because she read my story. And that, oh, I wow. think, was one of the best moments of my life. And when you started writing this, so you knew it was going to go up on The Guardian, you potentially knew that it was going to help other people. Did you realise the wider impact that it would have, that it would show people that actually, you know, even with friends saying it, there, there is no stereotype of what a woman that has been through domestic violence looks like. You could have the most hardest, badass exterior and still be going home and fearing for, for your life I um, think that's where you've hit the nail on the head there it is there's no stereotype mm. and people often stereotype it if you look at programs or adverts on tv and it's always a certain type of person like the refugee person mm. who is you know a certain socioeconomic class and they and they really do play up the stereotype and actually if you look at all the women that have been through it it's, it's often the most strongest people and we were talking about this earlier and mm. you go into relationships with, with men who have egos and they will break you down if you are mm. strong mm. and the strongest people will break yeah. and I think what I was trying to say is you can be a founder you can get through it you can do whatever the hell you want to do um, it's just each you have to take each step forward every yeah. day yeah um, and yeah. I, I said I, I, I opened up as well I mean I, I've also you know been in that situation uh, emotionally abusive relationship which can be is equally uh, traumatic and yeah. as you say so many when I read that letter earlier I was like gosh it, you know it, it hits home and as you say mm -hmm. it does take it takes a lot to be able to come out and admit it and then to, to be stronger and it's so weird that you not weird I guess but even I've just taken some some real empathy from that because people say to me but you're so strong and you're so sunny and you're so driven and it's like yeah, yeah. because I've had to be and actually yeah. and I won't again I don't want to swear on the mic because I won't let that beep yeah. take me down again yeah. you know yeah, exactly. and um and yeah so I, I as you say i think that the, the impact it can have on, on being brave enough and i do think it takes bravery to to show everyone that actually there is no stereotype and yeah good for you and i think it takes women like me who get to a position of success mm. to actually show that there is a path for younger women because it's going to happen at all ages right and mm. if you don't show that there is a way out of it and you will get there um and we don't start making it achievable um young girls will get stuck in a really bad place and not everyone has the support that I had of my parents right so it's they, they will be in dire situations and I think we need to do more as a society to prevent that from happening. This is going to sound corny but is there an element of resilience that builds from coming from a situation like that that then 
aids you in the rest of your life because I often think um, when you look at a lot of business people or entrepreneurs there is always some story of trauma there is something big that happened that either pushed them in another direction or that gave them some kind of inner grit that you just don't get from living life going from a to b day to day um is there a resilience that came from it or, or do you do you see it slightly differently no I, it is resilience it's literally my parents always say you are the biggest fighter and like you've gone through such adversity to get to where you are my best friend Callum was telling me last night he said when you tell people your story um, people look so shocked because mm. they see you as this person and then you, they hear this and they're like how the hell has she come <laughs> to be who she is yeah. and I always respect him for saying that to me because he's like you've got to remember how resilient you must be to have gone through that to still be where you are not just be in a standard situation be achieving like loads mm -hmm. and sometimes I don't think about what I'm achieving because I'm quite self-deprecating as most women are and we're like <laughs> oh you know it's nothing but yeah. actually the resilience and the fighter that came out of it through that and I you know I did fight my way out of that relationship physically saving my life from it so it had to be something right to still be alive today yeah. and did it drive the business did it did it also inspire the way that you've built the business and make you think differently about the sort of thing you wanted to do because it sounds to me like you're an entrepreneur that's socially motivated you could have you could have gone off and started anything I guess based on um, your work credentials yeah but it was the social drive for me so it's making everyone regardless of your class regardless of how much you can afford or whatever money you have or who your family is that you have access to the care and the freedom of choice that you deserve to stay at home and be looked after and that was always what was driving in my my mission of feeder mm -hmm. and will continue to drive so i will never sell out to just private until i've taken over and solved the care crisis <laughs> pretty much <Love laughs> took pride out of her there's hands, a, there's really. a lot of is what she's saying yeah. <laughs> the entrepreneur's dream and yeah. so there's a paragraph again in the letter so the the first statement i read was you talking about the domestic abuse but again you kind of rise up like a phoenix at the end and you say your confidence as an entrepreneur will grow at, uh, with each moment that passes. I bet you can't believe that one day you'll secure 1.6 million for the business by pitching to investors, many of whom are men, or that you'll lead a team of 20 that look to you for advice as they work to realise their own potential, as well as the 300 care professionals you employ to deliver high quality care. I mean, if there's ever two different, two different paragraphs and statements in the same letter, I, I, I haven't seen it. And that alone just shows how life can change moment to moment. But it seems to me that like you made decisions to mm. move through whichever situational scenario you're in. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I'm still making, trying to, still learning, guys. <laughs> still, <laughs> still making learning. decisions. It's a continual journey, right? You know, and I was, I was saying that, like, it affects every relationship afterwards as well. That's the problem. It affects the way that you are with men, partners, yeah. business partners, any man that you come across. It you have this certain persona about you, and I'm what I'm trying to do now is. Um, not allow it to define any relationships going forward or how I perceive myself. Yeah. And I think the greatest thing about those two paragraphs is that when I wrote that, I hadn't achieved that really yet. I was like, that's what I'm going to achieve. I love it. And then I did achieve it. And, and then it. I looked back at the letter and I was like, how did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> you were projecting it's it out, baby. Putting it out there. It's all about writing it down. Need to, we all need to write a letter, I think, tonight. I think yeah. that's, yeah. Um, I think that's put it out there. Write a letter, put it out there. Mm. Most definitely. Mel, what are you thinking? Again, you can't see Mel, for those of you at home, but she's looking very pensive at the moment. So, I, no, I have a history of uh, sexual abuse by a close family member for 10 years. And I know now I've come to a place where I, the I know the darkness 
created light. So I, it's this hard, again, this philosophical place that I know that I would not be where I am right now unless I, you know, had I had to go through that dark period. I maybe gone to another great place, but where I am right now is through that darkness. And so I, um, this is going to sound like a terrible name drop, but a few weeks ago I met Oprah and she was talking to me about this whole kind of what she went through and then what I went through because we, we had a chance to kind of really, you know, just just talk. And I'm just thinking about her life as well, the darkness that she went yeah. through. And, and all great leaders have to go through the dark. Um, and it is that resilience thing. And I'm not saying that we should go and kind of put abuse on anyone at oh, all. Cool, but yeah. unfortunately... Um, going through life with kind of all daisies and sunshine, it doesn't create resilience and and drive. Yeah, sometimes. and drive and, and to go is, through. To Nick, your analogy, as you say now, it is like a phoenix, and mm-hmm. isn't that? I think that's so interesting that three women here, um, badass and, women, and badass, yeah. women. badass <laughs> obviously women. Nat too, but have have all got our own stories of of abuse. Yeah. Um, and and here we are, and and smashing it. And I think, as you say, it's being able to be reflective and, and have that perspective, which which is key. And as you say, I think with you as well, you, you Devika, you. you will just keep processing and you'll just keep working mm. through that um you'll never forget yeah. mm. but, but you'll keep turning ever. it into something else but it is really lovely that you focused on kind of senior citizens and geriatric care my mother she she's a geriatric nurse and so she brought me to her hospital to volunteer all the time when i was a little kid and i um that there's a disconnect that seems to be happening actually in terms of our senior citizens the senior members of our family and younger people so for someone of your age at the time even thinking ahead of course everyone kind of it's all over the papers right now yes if you kind of focus on geriatric care baby boomers they're like that's a huge kind of money-making enterprise for entrepreneurs but the fact that you've done this just out of your own experience um, I think it's 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 absolutely amazing because quite frankly we are being disconnected from our senior citizens as a whole mm. we, we kind of put them in a box so far far away and we don't think about them as much and so to have a whole business a successful business as well a much needed business that lightens the burden particularly of women as well because women are most likely the caregivers as well in our households it's it's it it just hits all these kinds of buttons i wonder what have you ever asked yourself what you what your grandma what i wonder what she's thinking what Mm. she'd think of you in this position now i know my mum and myself we always uh because i mean my grandma was she was literally a mum to me so she brought me up until i was 10 and then she became sick and you know I was her carer then, and uh, but we were so close to her. And I was, she was in my arms when she passed away. So that's how close we were. Yeah. Um, and I often think, like, when I'm in a really dark place and I'm, you know, really struggling to get investment or there's something really bad that's happening, um, I often just sit back and I just try to think about her and like envisage her face. And it just gives me that strength to keep going because if she had to suffer so badly. I'm not going to let any other families suffer the way that she did. And if she could have been that person that inspired me to do it, then I think she would hopefully, she's staring down at me, smiling, right? (laughs) Giving me a high five. I wish we could keep talking because this is just so special and I think the work that you're doing I think we all agree the work that you're doing is absolutely um, wonderful you're a true inspiration thank you so much for joining us if people want to find out more where do they go where do they look where can they um, find so you so if they go on to www.vida.co.uk um, and they can follow on me on Twitter Devika Wood um, and I will obviously put them in touch with anyone in the care company to help them Devika you are truly badass thank you Thanks, so guys. much for joining thank us you. 
Welcome back to Badass Women's Hour XL with me, Natalie Campbell, Melanie Sabi, and yep, yep. Anna Williamson. Hey! We have just had, I think, one of our best inspirational conversations for a really long time. Devika Wood talked us through the background to her setting up a an app that supports people that need care, so elderly and disabled people that need care um, and connects them with carers, but also the story of, of domestic violence and abuse that she went through and the resilience and the grit that got her out of the other side. Absolutely. She she is badass and wonderful. And I love her, loved her honesty. Um, what a lady. Yeah, What exactly. a lady. Yeah. So good. So, so good. I think we'll be seeing some awards. I uh, hope so. I'm going to find an award to create for Let's her. Let's just get create some awards yeah. for her. Yeah, She's amazing. Will. Exactly. I was in tears the whole time. That, that, yeah. That, and, that she, really and, she, and she made Mel, not made, but it inspired Mel and I to, to, to open up a little bit about our experiences too, which um, is a powerful thing. Exactly. Thank you, ladies. Thank you. But now we are going to talk about why Tesco is scrapping best before dates on selected fruit and vegetables. Now, I don't know about you, but I have definitely bought blueberries, tomatoes, cucumbers that have a date on them that say, you know, this is the, this is the best before date. And a week later, specifically tomatoes, a couple of weeks later, they are still fine. And I have that thing, are they fine? Should I throw them away? And so when I saw this story, I was like, oh, well, that just makes sense. Can't we just use our nose? Smell tests? And and eyes? eyes. Exactly. I find the same with apples. I don't know about you guys, but I I refrigerate most of my Uh, my fruit and veg. But I've had apples, honestly, in in my fridge for about four or five weeks. And and it's still fine. And even if it's not quite so good, it's fine in a smoothie. Exactly. Exactly. So cutting down on waste. What I didn't know, that actually the organisation behind it is the Women's Institute. They have led the campaign to make this happen. And on the phone, we have Lynn Stubbins, chair of the National Federation of Women's Institutes, to tell us why she started or why they started the campaign, what it means and who they want to follow suit next. Lynn, hello. Lynn? Hi, Lynn, are you there? Yeah. Hello. Oh, hello. Yes. Hello. Yes. Good evening. Hi. Hi. Good to talk to you. So, so we all think you're absolutely amazing because food waste and these dates, which feel rather arbitrary, I think are the bane of, of most people's lives, especially if you've got a family. Tell us what inspired you and the Women's Institute to, to get behind this and make it happen. Yeah, totally. I absolutely agree. We uh, had a campaign which started in 2016, um, which was uh, for uh, entitled Food Matters, and it's aimed at re- effect to redu- reduce um, the effect of food waste. And we did a survey of our members, and about 5,000 WI members took part in a research project, project which told us about their own food waste habits and uh, they visited supermarkets to investigate practices on the shelves. And they told us that they uh, realised that these sell-by dates and use-by dates were very confusing. And it was leading to a lot of food waste, both in stores and in the home. Mm. So we published a uh, Wasted Opportunities report last year, and that looked at various uh, uh, things that we were asking supermarkets to do. And the one of them was 
removing the best before date. So it's great news this week that Tesco have uh, announced that they're removing these best before dates because a lot of people, as you've just said, think that uh, the best before dates is the same as the use by dates. So, Lynn, what is the difference, just for anyone that doesn't know? Yeah, um, the best before dates uh, signify quality, uh, whereas the use by date is used on foods that um, need a date label for safety reasons. So a use-by date on a food means that it's not safe to eat after that date. But a best-before date is just about the quality that maybe, uh, I don't know, an item of fruit might have gone a little softer or you know something like that, but they're perfectly safe to eat. And as you've just said, if you keep them refrigerated, then uh, they last for weeks. And, you know, in the good old days, our mothers and grandmothers used to use their eyes and their, their te- you know, their, their sense of smell and taste to, to see whether something was edible or not. And, of course, you know, they, last, they do last for weeks in a, in a fridge. Are we just um, be getting, be getting a bit too precious, do you think, Lynn? Sorry? Are we a bit too precious, do you I think? I think so, with, uh, with you know, and absolutely. And it's, it's uh, you know, I think this has ha- been happening over a number of years, that people are uh, obsessed with these dates. And uh, food is perfectly safe to eat after the, after the sell-by dates. Uh, you have to be, you know, you, the use-by dates are usually on perishable foods, more perishable foods than than uh, fruit and veg but uh, it's a start i think we need to be much more sensible about mm. how how we uh, look at these dates and so what and ki- what kind of effect or what kind of impact do you think this will have in terms of actual food waste because the mm. campaign was about reducing our food waste as well right so what kind of impact absolutely do you think have? yes well we're we're um hoping that by reducing uh, removing these sell-by dates, then a lot of the food that's wasted in both in supermarkets and the home will reduce. We're also calling for an end to overbuying, i.e. replacing multi-buys that supermarkets are offering with a price reduction so that yes Yes. i love it it's like this is like church (laughs) as consumer consumers we're able to buy the quantities that suit us not having to buy you know great huge packs of apples or pears or whatever it might be lynn you can't see us in here you can't see us in here but we're literally like we've got hands in the air we're cheering Cheering. this is absolutely what we wanted to hear no more multi-buy so lynn thank you very much for joining us and letting us know more about the campaign we're behind you and we hope that more supermarkets follow suit so this is just tesco at the moment but all of the other supermarkets can definitely follow suit that was lynn stubbings chair of the national federation of women's institutes the wi This has been Badass Women's Hour's Best Bits. Uh, If you liked it, please do rate, review and subscribe us. We love that. Five stars. Um, Or come chat to us on social media. You can find us at Badass Women's Hour HR, at Badass Women's Hour. Or come talk to us individually. I'm at Harriet Minter. At Emma Sexton. And at Nat D. Campbell. And we'll be here again next week, same time, same place. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.